Good morning. Thanks for braving the weather today. I had another pastor friend text me first thing this morning, and he quoted out of the book of Job where it talks about how God's voice thunders and how he restrains the lightning and his voice speaks in a thunderous way. And then the part I had always missed in that verse in Job chapter four, how God does things we can't comprehend. I gotta admit, when I heard the lightning at two o'clock this morning, I wasn't thinking, oh, God's amazing. I, you know, sometimes as a pastor, you just fall out so much on the practical side. I was thinking, how many people are gonna stay home this morning? But you didn't, you're here, you're with us, as well as live stream is with us this morning, and God speaks and God does things we can't comprehend, and it's so good to be together with friends. And we look at a subject this morning that was so popular in 2022, it floated this chapter, Matthew chapter 6, to the top of the searches, again, globally, worldwide, because it addresses anxiety. And we live in an anxious time. Now, historically, the truth is, all of life since the fall in the garden and since original sin has been anxious times. But we're living right now. There may have been other points in history where that timing seemed even worse to that generation, but we look at it from a historical perspective, it doesn't seem that bad to us. So our time feels like the worst because it is the worst we experience. And that can naturally create anxiety. The storms create natural anxiety. There's fear, there's, there's legitimate fear, there's warnings about difficulties and problems and things that might happen. All of that's legitimate. But yet in Matthew chapter six, what everybody was looking at this past year is where Jesus tells us over six different times, don't worry. But I'll tell you right up front, I don't know that I can fully convince you not to worry because I have a hard time convincing myself not to worry and not to be anxious. Because Things impact us, things work in our lives, things are happening, and we become concerned and we become anxious and we have to deal with it and process it. And I think overall, when we look at the entire passage in Matthew chapter six, we understand that what Jesus is saying is an assertion on his part that we don't need to worry and he's going to give several illustrations about why we don't need to worry because God is the one who's capable of providing. God is the one who's capable of protecting. And God is with us, and particularly people of faith that have a relationship with him. He's with us. And the anxiety actually doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't change your circumstances. It doesn't extend the length or the breadth of your life. Ironically, we know in this generation that that anxiety, that worry can actually shorten our lives because it's bad for our bodies. We understand that. And so Jesus makes this assertion not to worry, but in a very real sense to stop and pause and gain a new perspective so that we can function during the anxiety. And actually, Several verses. I'm combining several this morning from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25. Several of these verses were the top trending verses last year. Several of them, verse 33 will be the one we'll look at towards the end, was one of the leading ones analytically. And so, obvious, this whole section is speaking 
to a need in our hearts because we're anxious, because maybe we're scared, because maybe we have fear, maybe because we don't know what's ahead and, and we are out of control. That's what works for me. That's, that's what triggers me the most is if a situation or a circumstance is outside of my ability to control, I struggle because I want to be in control. And so the concept of like in First Peter, when Peter tells his congregation, when he tells that group in East Asia and he says to them, look, cast your cares on the Lord. Literally toss your anxieties on the Lord and he will take care of them I have a hard time with that. I, I want to control it. I want to deal with it. And releasing it can be difficult. And it's the same concept. So in verse 25, Jesus says to the crowd gathered that day, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food? The body more than clothing. Now there is something deep down inside, maybe it's just the carnal nature, that wants to scream out in this moment and say, no, no, this isn't true. I am concerned about what I'm going to eat. I got anxious this morning going to the cafe because I was looking for leftovers. I found some leftovers, but they weren't what I was looking for. So I found one of our deacons had laid his Bible and his notebook on a chair out there, and he had laid a bag of donuts out there. I'm confessing to all of you. I haven't confessed to him yet. I actually asked, we had one of our teenagers helping with the greeters ministry this morning. I actually asked her, I said, do you know whose Bible that is? She looked at it. She moved the donut bag. Somebody named Bobby. I said, oh, I know him. It's not a problem. Picked up the bag, ate two of those donuts. It felt so much better. Something about thieving it just felt good. Now I'm confessing it to all of you. I got, I got food is important to me. Some things are obvious. Clothing is important to me. I was so proud of myself this morning. I wear almost exclusively boots. And many people this morning wearing tennis shoes were like, I mean, we're gonna, it's like, if you ever go to Six Flags over Texas, outside of the splash thing, the log thing, or whatever it is, where they soak you on purpose, there's all these racks that you can hang your shoes on. There's these, they're these, they're these big machines that you can actually stand in. They're giant blow dryers, big enough to blow dry your whole body. That's what we needed in the restrooms this morning. It's that bad. So if you're on live stream and you're someplace outside of Texas, it was that bad in Houston this morning. It was that bad coming into church. It's that wet. It's important to me. I, I am particular about what I wear. I am particular about how I'm clothed. And so either I have failed Jesus at this absolute moment because I do worry about my life. I do worry about what I'm going to eat. I worry about what I'm going to drink. I worry about my body and I worry about what I'm going to wear. And Jesus tells me, don't worry about this. Now this isn't all confession this morning. In the next two illustrations, I think Jesus helps us process how we can fulfill that. And this may be a little struggle from, for the note takers this morning because it's not so much one, two, three, four, do these, do these four things as much as it is 
pause and stop and think about the circumstances and think about how God moves in those situations, understand God better, and we can fight against anxiety. So verse 26, Jesus brings this consideration regarding specifically food and life. He says, consider the birds of the sky. Not just their beauty, not just, not just the way they look, not just our enjoyment, but consider how they live, he says. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. If you ever eat outdoors at a restaurant on the patio, you see that happen. Because you cannot eat on a patio, at least not in southeast Texas, without sharing your meal with either seagulls, grackles, or sparrows. They're all there. But do we ever just stop for a moment to recognize they're not laboring the way we think of laboring. They're not looking for a paycheck. They're not frustrated or dealing with raise or lack of raise. They're, they're not taking their investments. They're not crying and weeping like many of us are because of what's happening to our stock market and to our investments and to our retirement futures. No, they're in that moment And whether it's a french fry or a piece of bread or whether you're in the deep wilderness and it's seeds from the grass, they're eating, they're provided for, they're taken care of. And this is why I say, this is why I'm saying it's not a matter of just kind of one, two, three, do these three things and you're not gonna be anxious. It's a matter of almost taking a step back, seeing how God's moving in the world, seeing like Job recognized in the midst of all that thunder and all that lightning, God does things that are difficult to comprehend. He's taking care of the birds. He's, he's feeding them and they have what they need. And then I love the question right in the middle of verse 26. Aren't you worth more than they are? Our value in God's eyes is greater. Jesus will later on another occasion tell a group of people that God notices every time a single sparrow passes. And he basically makes the same consideration. He says, aren't you worth far more than they are? For me, one of the struggles is I don't pay attention to when God moves in the little moments. And the other struggle is I struggle sometimes to value myself. And so it's really hard for me sometimes to believe that I am more valuable than anything or anyone or any creature. I can read this, I understand it academically, but I'm telling you when I'm sitting outside and I'm watching the cardinals eat the sunflower seeds and the grain that I put out for them, if I'm, if I'm in those moments, I don't naturally stop and pause and say to myself, as beautiful as those cardinals are. I grew up with them as a kid when I spent my summers back in Missouri. I, I, I've always loved them. But I don't stop and immediately say, I'm, I'm more important. God cares more about me than he does about them. Which is why Jesus in verse 27 asked the question, can any of you add one moment to your life? Can you increase your lifespan by worrying. And we know the reality that no, we can't. My anxiety today isn't going to impact the length, the tenure, the breadth of my life. Actually, it could potentially hurt it. I need to just stop and consider what God's doing to provide. 
Now, I'm assuming I am not probably the only skeptical online or in person today. And what I'm about to share can easily by the skeptic be written off as just a situation or a set of circumstances. But I believe with all my heart, it was God moving. My family, most of you are regulars, but we have a lot of guests in here this morning. My family has for decades eaten exclusively venison. Now, we're not particular in the sense that we just think that's some kind of elitist position. It's the simplicity, particularly when we were younger, when we were raising our kids, and when they were in high school in particular, and middle school, and doing sports and athletics. It was an economic decision because I could bring home four or five deer every year and feed them with protein and meat out throughout the entire year. And so it was more economic for us than it was nutritional or anything. We just, I had access, I had the skills, and I could do that. Now, they're off on their own, they're doing their own thing, including getting their own venison. So we'll carry it, and I don't need that. But it's October, and it's super hot this year. And I made the decision not to bow hunt, which is normally when I take my deer during bow season. So it's first thing, and then the rest of the hunting season is just this kind of pleasure, vacation time, time away from the office. In the middle of making that decision, I receive a message one day from my wife saying, I just checked the freezer. We're down to five packets of venison. That equates to five meals in our household. She says, you need to go ahead and take a deer. No problem. Except that this year, across the state of Texas, a combination of the drought and a combination of a bumper acorn crop, it was for most hunters the worst season we've ever had. It was terrible. We just didn't even see them. We, we, we go as far as to pick which ones we're going to take out of the herd, and we, we study that, we research it all year long, and then we make that decision not even once. I never even got a glimpse of one of the targets. I am one day from the end of our season. Our season ended a little early this year because yet another circumstance collided. There was construction that needed to be done on the house at the ranch. That construction was going to take place. We can't stay up there. We can't hunt. And so our season ended nearly a whole month, a little more than a month earlier than it normally would have. And during the period we were hunting, I never saw a deer that I would or wanted to take. And the messages get a little more intense, not because she's nagging me, but she's maybe a little anxious because, let's face it, buying meat from the store is an expensive proposition at any time, and over the last few months, it's gotten even worse, except now you can buy a steak cheaper than you can buy eggs, but, you know, I don't, I don't hunt eggs yet. I might. <laughs> the three things are going. Last day of, this, last day of my season, haven't seen anything. I know I'm down to the wire. If I don't get something that day, we don't have meat for the year. I know I'm making it sound so much more dramatic than it really is, and it's okay. You can just kind of laugh at me. But it was important to me, and it was a defining moment for me. I prayed about it. I've done that mostly for my kids. When my kids were young, I'd pray, Lord, please, there's some deer out there that's willing to sacrifice his life so my kids can have a good hunt. And I would pray for them. I'm praying for myself now. Lord, it'd be really great. I just need to see one, and I only need about 30 seconds. I don't see it. But I get a text from my best friend. And he says, hey, target three just arrived. He wasn't going to take a deer this year. 
He said, do you want it? And I said, yes. So as the sun set on the end of my hunting season, my best friend gave me his deer. Our freezer is full. We will eat this year. We will eat venison. We just won't eat eggs. So now that may seem circumstantial. It may even seem kind of ridiculous to the skeptic, but I believe with all my heart, God provided through my best friend. He did it for two reasons. One, so my wife would have the food to cook that she loves to cook. And he did it for two because now I've been struggling for nearly two months with the pride of for the first time in multiple decades, I didn't get a deer. So let me just go ahead and announce it in church and on live stream so you guys will stop asking me whether I got a deer this year. No, I failed miserably, did not pull a trigger once during season. So we got that out. I'm feeling a little carthotic and a little better now. But it didn't stop there. My buddy who didn't get to hunt for all of that time wanted a deer, a different buddy. We're on the last day of what we call muzzle loading, black powder season. Literally, it's about 15 minutes until sundown and you can't hunt anymore. He's wanting to get a deer. This is the last opportunity. I get a text from them. They're hunting in a different part of the ranch and, and say, hey, you know, he's really trying to get this deer. He wants one. We're going we're gonna to stay right up, till the, right up till the limit. And I looked at my watch and I thought to myself, semi-sarcastically, that's 15 minutes. You got 15 minutes. It's a whole hunting season and there's 15 minutes until it's over and the longest season of the year, which is non-hunting season, lasts until all the way till next October. It's miserable. It's the worst time of year. And I prayed. I said, Lord, my buddy's 82 years old. I said, Lord, he really wants one. He came. He's going to all the extra trouble today. There's got to be a way. I mean, there's only, now we're down to like 12 minutes. And I'm watching. And I'm thinking, now it's 10 minutes. Now it's eight minutes. And the state of Texas is really particular about the time. So when, when I'm acting like there is a drop dead moment, there is a drop dead or get ticketed moment in this. We're down to six minutes. Literally, I'm watching the time, and at five minutes remaining, I hear the gunshot. Now I have to pray that it was accurate. And it was. Now that may totally seem ridiculous, but when I think of moments like that where God just intervenes, and I think to myself, no, that, you know, would we have survived? If we had to buy all of our meat from the grocery store, yes, we would have. We might have gone vegan, <laughs> not for health, but just for finances. I mean, we would, have, we would have been okay. But I will believe in all of my heart, whether anyone wants to believe with me, that God provided for us this year. That in that moment, the reality of being worth more than the sparrows, the cardinals, the grackles, the seagulls, or even beautiful white-tailed deer. God loves me, and I'm valuable. I don't have to worry, and I don't need to worry, even though I do, because he's always watching and he's always with me. The next illustration is just a consideration. Does the exact same thing as it did with the food, with clothing. Verse 28 says, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field. Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor, which literally means in the Greek that they're toiling 
in the field, like they're farming, they're, they're toiling in the field, or they don't spin thread, which literally means sewing their clothes. They don't do this labor. They don't do the things we're doing, in other words, Jesus says. Yet, he says, I tell you that even Solomon, who is historically the richest man ever in the history of the world, even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. He was taken care of. He had. And note this for just a second. He had it in excess. Even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry. Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles, which is not an ethnic reference here, it is a spiritual reference. It, the Gentiles were non-Jews, and as a result, they were non-believers in Jehovah. They were non-believers in God. These non-believers eagerly seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus' illustration is a person that is adorned in excess, has more wealth than he can manage or do or spend, and yet... In Jesus' perspective, he looked better, acted better, and was taken care of better than the absolute most beautiful flower that's ever bloomed on the face of the earth. And it's the same assumption because he knows that we're more valuable than that and he knows that we need them. And I have to stop again for a moment And I have to process and I have to take this into consideration and I have to recognize I face no difficulty, I face no circumstance that God's not aware of. And I do that sometimes. I think all of us do. We have a tendency to pray. Like, God, maybe you were busy yesterday, but did you notice the tax bill that came in? Did you notice the house payment that came in? Did you notice the tuition payment that came in? Whatever it might be, we tend to pray like God is unaware And yet Jesus is saying he is aware. He knows what's going on and he knows we have these needs. It's not a surprise to him. And this creates the perspective that guides all of our financial thinking. We're not owners of anything. Everything we have is because God blessed us with it. We are, as believers in Christ, we are, as people of faith, stewards. We are managers of God's property, God's possessions. And of course, he knows what we need. And it's already available to us because we're managing it for him. And so it's not a matter of just what I can do or what I can do and accomplish or what I can make a difference in. I do all those things out of management, out of stewardship, of the resources God has entrusted to me. He already knows. And I am more important even than those resources because he loves me that deeply. So the one real takeaway happens in verse 33, which was out of all the verses in this passage, the one that was trending the most. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If I'm managing this stuff for God, and he knows how valuable I am, and he knows what my needs are, that frees me to seek the most important thing, which is his kingdom and his righteousness. 
So now my job, my work, my paycheck becomes ministry while I'm still here on earth. Now the effort and the hours and the energy I put into making a living is now opportunity to share my faith and to have conversations with people about the life-changing nature of knowing Jesus and the transformation of our life and coming to a conclusion, God loves me so much that he knows all of my needs and he provides all of those needs and he's going to take care of me. I am going to be okay. Whatever the source of my anxiety is, it's not a surprise to God and he's going to take care of me and he's with me. So I am now free to seek his kingdom, to seek his agenda and to seek his righteousness because I couldn't attain righteousness by myself. So here's the one takeaway. Here's the the one thing we can write in our notes and say, this is the one thing I'm going to do. I am going to seek the kingdom of God and I'm going to seek God's righteousness. Always. Because Jesus' second phrase, all these things will be provided for you. You know, I think about it every day. I think about multiple times a day. I'm losing sleep at night. The relocation of this church has been a big project that has been over 20 years in process. I personally inherited it and have been here nearly 14 years in the process, and now it's happening. And I worry all the time, and I have to be reminded the reason this project started was because we were seeking, because godly people were seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness and needed up-to-date tools and up-to-date presence in our community. I inherited that. The vast majority of the people here inherited that. And God's going to accomplish it and is going to fulfill it because he asked us to be stewards. He asked us to be managers of it. He asked us to do this. And we're going to do it out of obedience. His kingdom will be furthered. His name will be recognized and be famous. And multiple generations will follow us knowing Christ, living for Christ, sharing Christ, and worshiping Christ. And so, yes, it's scary, and it's a little frightening at times, and it's almost overwhelming at times, but if we seek God's kingdom, if we seek his righteousness, all these things are going to be provided. And then you got to love the way Jesus is practical. Our band's coming back up. We're, we're going to close out and worship and go back out into the rain. Just in such a practical way, he says, don't worry again. It's the sixth time he's told us that. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. I love this phrase. It it sounds kind of pessimistic, honestly, at least the way I interpret it. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If I'm going to be anxious today because of what's going to happen tomorrow, let me be anxious to see God's kingdom magnified, exalted, and furthered by my actions and my decisions. And let me seek out after his righteousness and let him give me his righteousness so people see Jesus in me and not just my worry. Because today, today is anxious enough. I don't need to pile tomorrow or next week or next month or next year or next decade onto the equation. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So today... Today, in this moment, let me seek his kingdom. Let me seek his righteousness and let me rejoice in his provision because today's tough enough. And so don't, you need to plan for the future, 
but not today. Not in our worry, not in our anxiety. Today is enough. Let's do like Peter will later say, remembering these words that Jesus said, cast your cares, cast your anxieties onto the Lord because he cares. He knows. None of us, any one of us right now is outside of his attention. He knows us. He's with us. And he wants to bless us because he loves us. We know it. We experienced it as children from our own parents. For the most part, we experienced it as parents with our own children and our grandchildren. We know what it is to love. We know what it is to be loved. But far exceeding any experience we've ever had is the experience of God who loves us so much that he wants to constantly provide for us. And he wants to constantly remind us we're so much more valuable than anything else on the face of the earth. We are the most valuable thing to God. So today, if you're going to preserve something, if you're going to save something, let it be yourself. Because God considers you more valuable than anything else. And he's providing, and he's working, and he loves. And he loves in a splendid way. And he just an extraordinary fashion much like Job said beyond comprehension embrace it just right now in your heart just say what's on your mind say what's on your heart share the anxieties give it to him and most importantly tell him you're willing to trust him and invite him to be a part of your life